the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, and again, welcome to another edition of Lifeline. Hey, we've got a really special day planned for you today, and some very special guests joining us today in studio. First off, let me introduce a voice certainly well familiar to many KFAX listeners down through the years. He is the speaker on Verse by Verse. Delighted to have joined us today in studio, the senior pastor of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, Pastor Leighton Sheely. Pastor Sheely, good to see you again. Thanks, Craig. Great to see you. Glad to be back. Boy, good to have you back. We're kind of getting back to some return to semblance of normalcy, whatever the new definition of Normal normalcy is, yeah. seems to be. And uh, so great to get a chance to, uh, to catch up with you, talk a bit about God and what he is doing, not only at Church of the Highlands, but around the globe. And um, there has been, as some listeners are perhaps familiar with, a very special partnership between Church of the Highlands, your dad, Pastor Don, and our special in-studio guest today who has traveled an enormous amount of mileage to be here with us. And uh, to kind of set the the background, I think the story that maybe will most uh, ideally fascinate listeners is the connection, the vision that your dad had for and with this ministry – and his, his his early calling into the mission field that got interrupted for 50 or so years <laughs> yeah. by, by full-time pastoring. And ironically, he was a man that when he, he claimed he was retiring, none of us believed it. We knew that retired really meant refired and headed back out once again into the mission field. It culminated in many of experiences in a book that he co-authored with our guest today called Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. But take us back and kind of connect the dots, if you would, Pastor Sheely, with your father, Don, his heartbeat for world missions, and and how God connected the ministry of Church of the Highlands, your dad, with our special guest today. Well, you know, my dad, he, he, was, he had a heart of a missionary. In fact, uh, he was on his way to the mission field, Hong Kong. He already had the apartment set up. They had a car there waiting. He took a temporary assignment in San Francisco and never got to Hong Kong, at least not as originally planned. And uh, so he, he's always had the heart of missionary. When we did his memorial service a number of years ago, we uh, kind of calculated the number of countries that he'd gone to, in, uh, and it was over it was 60 or more countries that he went to and did missions work in. And um, one of the people that he had the privilege of connecting with was 
um, Brother Ronnie here, and uh, and I'm, I'm anxious to let Ronnie talk about uh, the miracle in the jungle uh, that has taken place there. I had a chance to visit once, and uh, and it really is a miracle in the jungle to hear the voices of hundreds of young young people singing praise to God uh, at 5:30 in the morning and all through the day. And so, uh, what God has done uh, through Pastor. Brother Ronnie and, and and so many others is really a miracle in the jungle. Your dad made, in fact, several trips into uh, Borneo after yeah. he, quote-unquote, retired from full-time pastoring right. with a real heartbeat toward not just things like uh, Christian education, church planting, but really equipping the believers in what real discipleship real evangelism looks like. And, you know, I think about the passage of Scripture where we're instructed to, uh, to go out into Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And your, your dad figured out how to define the utter- <laughs> Siberia. Even. Yeah, even <laughs> Siberia. He, he learned how to define what the uttermost parts really means. And, and, and toward that end, joining us today in studio is Ronnie Habor. Ronnie, of course, is uh, the founder of Living Waters Village and the co-author of the book that I referred to a moment ago, Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo, uh, co-written with your dad, Don Sheely. And uh, Ronnie, a delight to have you back again. Great to be here again. And we, we talk about the uttermost parts. Uh, not not perhaps so uttermost for you, although folks would look at your background from Holland and Australia, which they'll note by the accent, and say, yeah, well, you're, you're, you're down under to be sure. But um, if, uh, if anything defines the uttermost parts, certainly that part of uh, um, uh, Malaysia and, uh, and uh, Indonesia on the island of Borneo, third largest in the world, I was surprised to find out. Yes, it is, yeah. But made up of three different countries. Three different so countries, yes. yeah. And uh, placed on the equator there, so it's always hot and sticky, and uh, but very tropical, of course, and still very remote, very lots of remote areas there. The heartbeat, certainly for Don Sheely, to wind up in a place like Borneo teaching the word uh, is clear. And longtime listeners to uh, uh, to Daybreak uh, certainly know his heartbeat. But I'm curious for for listeners that are perhaps not familiar with with your life and ministry, how did you and your spouse wind up? literally in the middle of the jungle in Borneo, reaching the least of these orphans, children that have kind of been cast off in very difficult circumstances. How did that all come about? Well, we just, um, when we got saved, of course, we got um, really, how can I put it, uh, uh, received Christ with a thunder in a way. You know, we got so, uh, we were so in love with the Lord and we were ready really to do whatever whatever God wanted us to do. Uh, we, I just realized, I knew from Scripture, from 1, uh, 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, it says that um, he purchased our lives right on the cross, when he went to the cross. So I understood that my life wasn't mine anymore, but it was now his, right? He purchased me. So, I, And so therefore, I'm not here to serve myself. I'm here now to serve him. So whatever that meant. So we went to Bible college and prepared ourselves for whatever God had for us. So, And then we said, look, wherever you want us to go, Siberia, China, Africa, uh, anywhere but Holland. I didn't want to go to Holland anymore. Careful what you pray for. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I lived there for 10 years as a kid from 8 to 18, and I uh, didn't have a good time there. But um, it wasn't Holland's fault. It was just my family and that. But, but other than that, so we ended up in, in Borneo, and... Um, and we God sort of challenged us to sort of uh, start to um, bring the gospel message to the Dayak people, the uh, 
the local people from Borneo. And um, so there's about 400 different tribes that come under that umbrella. And we started to um, plant churches amongst them. And, and that's where we ended up. And uh, we realized that around the uh, coastal areas, there were lots of churches already established, but in the interior, not that much. And so our heart was more f- to go inside to the interior and to start planting churches there, which we did. But then we found out, um, we found all these kids that nobody wanted and uh, they were dumped and neglected and God challenged us to bring them in. I, I mean, we never sort of, our intent was never to sort of start an orphanage, that we didn't go there for that, but it sort of happened. We realized that preaching the gospel and sharing the love of Christ with people and telling them about the Lord um, is one thing, but then how to put it into practice. You can't say to a starving kid that you find in the jungle, look, uh, Jesus loves you and we love you too and uh, well, uh, I'd like to pray for you now and, uh, and uh, see luck. you later. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'll be back in a couple of weeks and I hope you're still around, you know. So, but actually caring for a kid then, uh, like God made it quite clear to us that we needed to bring these kids in. So we started to do that and uh, it's just grown from there. And that really is the, the practical side of Christianity, isn't it? And, 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 I, and I say that because if you look at Christ's ministry on earth, every time he went to a community, went to a village and preached... There was also great sensitivity toward meeting local felt needs, whether he healed the blind man, had the conversation with the woman at the well. There was always that sense of sensitivity toward not just proclaiming his love, but demonstrating in a very practical way. And and I would, would wonder from your perspective, you're working in a part of the world, influence of DIAC, uh, certainly large, strong influence of Islam. I think uh, upwards of almost two-thirds of the island are, are predominantly Muslim. The ability to not just preach the gospel, but demonstrate the gospel in a very practical sense is, is probably almost hand in glove, isn't it? Meaning you really can't have one practically well, without the other? Well, you can't. You can't. It means nothing otherwise. It means very little to somebody if you just preach the word to them. I mean, you've got to show them then in action. It's really... Uh, the, the, two go, the two go hand in hand always so you looked initially at evangelism and church planting and that at some point God said I, I'm going to have you sent down some serious roots here there, there's, be prepared what scripture says tells us strengthen your tent stakes because God's about to do a pretty significant increase how many years has the ministry been functioning there in Borneo? Uh, 19 now 19 years the, yeah, the village that we've set up, 19 years. We've been there now 27 years, but the village is 19. 19 years. Any idea how many people offhand have had their lives impacted through that ministry? Oh, thousands have come through our, our, our village and uh, have been sent out or have gone back or have gone to do new things. But uh, wonderful to see a lot of them that are just serving God elsewhere. And uh, I'll, I'll give you one example of a young lady. She decided to go back to her village after she finished high school, and she wanted to um, help her, her family that was still there. So we'd rather not that they go back to their village because of uh, the lack of Christianity there. But if they're strong in their faith, well, uh, uh, not just uh, the lack of uh, Christianity, but also the danger sometimes, but when you when they're strong in their faith, well, God bless you, go for it, you know. And so she she rings me she rang me up um, a couple of months after that she went away back to her village, and she said that she set up a um, a preschool in her village for the little ones, a Christian preschool. So I was blown away that 
you know, she learned from us, you know, that step out in faith, even if you haven't got any money, trust the Lord, you know, and God will be there with you to help you through all those things and will provide for you if you're really serious about stepping out for the Lord. And uh, she did. And so fantastic to see now that she started up this school, little school by herself, and uh, now she's getting other Christians to come on board and helping her with with, uh, teaching all these preschoolers which is fantastic. With me today in studio is Ronnie Habor with Living Waters Village Ministries from Borneo. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to The Conversation, our visit today with Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, along with a very special guest, Ronnie Habor from Living Waters Village Ministries in Borneo. Ronnie, let me pick up the conversation when we left off just prior to the break, demonstrating some really solid roots Mm. in her faith, which kind of gets to a point that you were making before we came on the air today and visiting with Pastor Sheely that, you know, we're, we're inclined, particularly in the, in the Western church, that this is very much a numbers game. How many people showed up for Sunday school? What was the collection like at the 11 a.m. service? And, and, you know, how fast is our church growing numerically? With often very little thought given to the caliber of the people, the quality of the discipleship, and whether or not we are actually producing disciples who are capable of reproducing disciples, which is really the formula that Christ gave us, right? Go into all the world, each one, reach one, teach one. And yet, sadly, sort of the the Western way of measuring success has always been based on a numbers game, whether, you know, how how good your your accounting records look, what your stock is doing on Wall Street, how many people are going to church on Sunday with very little thought given to the caliber of the people that we are training up to to serve the Lord and to reach others. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it really comes down to... If, if the strength in spirituality and relationship with Christ and the capacity to share the word with others is there and is strong, God will take care of the numbers, won't he? That's why we, uh, you know, a lot of people, they, they um, believe in, um, I don't know what they call it, micro-management, micro-ministry, micro, uh, is to set up people for, with a little business so that they can sort of get on their own two feet and, mm-hmm. and make something of their lives. So, so, which is, in, in a lot of cases, that's a good thing. But I've, I've you know, and we've had the opportunity many times given to us, like we've got a, uh, we make our own concrete bricks. We can, we can sell those if we, you know, uh, many times the Chinese have come to us and wanted to buy our bricks. And we've got our own bakery. We've got our own orchards now. We've got our own, all that sort of thing. So we can make money out of that. But we don't use any of that, really. We just use whatever we need to use because... The, the danger is in all these things when you start up a ministry in order to make more money, right, um, you shift your focus yeah. really from where God has actually – he called you for a particular purpose. He's called us to train up, you know, to, to introduce the gospel message to people there and to um, disciple them and to get them ready then to duplicate, you know, go for it, go, go out and then do the same. But if our focus shifts to making money, like if we constantly have to worry about making money, making money, the the danger is, of course, which often happens, is you make money, but then the uh, the challenge, the, 
the temptation is to make more money. Mm-hmm. And so more and more time gets spent on all these these businesses, little businesses, and less time is spent on, on actually discipling the the, uh, the people that are there. So with ours, we, we don't want to do that. I want to be totally dependent on God for everything. That's from day one we've said that and we will remain that because we want to make sure that we train these kids, bring them up in the things of God, to, and disciple them in such a way that they will understand and they will receive that urge that that desire that passion for god as well to get out there and to uh um share the gospel the, the message of love and salvation to others as well so that's what we're seeing now that's the fruits that we're seeing right now so um i think that's so 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 important that we don't lose that that we don't uh, become a numbers game and the importance of all that but that we keep on focusing look god gives us 24 hours a day he gives us stacks of opportunities every day to use in order to glorify him right to train our people to speak uh, the gospel message to um uh, t- um, to help people to um, walk with him, talk with him, and all that sort of stuff, um, and, and to use it wisely. All everything that he gives you that day to to use it wisely for him, and so that's what we've got to keep on doing. And you really, at the end of the day, need to be very cautious that you protect that there's not a shift in the priorities. Mm. As you're suggesting, because if you allow those priorities to be in to shift, I mean, the enemy is a seductress. Absolutely. And, and, and he will figure out what rings our bell, what draws our attention away from the primary focus of preaching Christ crucified and raising disciples. And all of a sudden it's about, well, look at how much more we could do if we had this income and that. And suddenly you begin to see the shift in focus. And all of a sudden, eventually, the real priority of ministry winds up taking a back seat. And therefore, the effectiveness is then tremendously reduced. And often it takes one generation and then all of a sudden the Lord isn't the focal point anymore. It's making money. It's the businesses. And they still believe that they're a Christian, but they're not doing much with it. And that's why you get stagnation, and that'll eventually it'll just die off. I've seen too many mission stations like that, which is really sad. Well, and sadly, the same effect, I think, uh, we even see here in the church in America and in the West, uh, where, again, the, the focus of priority changes. And, and while there may be a remnant still there and folks still showing up, it's the old adage, you know, the spirituality is, is a, a mile wide and a quarter inch deep. Yeah. Do you look at it as also in part, uh, Ronnie, as not only being in the mission field, but also in the battlefield? And I, and I raise that question because uh, you're surrounded by the influence of Islam. And in many respects, that's, that's kind of your mission field, too. Uh, Islam is not so, uh, such a great uh, – well, there's an opposition of there, uh, there, of course, always is. But we have more animists there than we have Islam. Islam sort of creeps in, of course, from the other islands now, mm-hmm, much sure. more than ever before. Um, and they have their agenda, their strategies, and all that sort of stuff as well. But um, there's a lot of the tribal people are mostly animists, so they believe in the spirit. The Dayaks. Yeah, yeah, the Dayaks. Uh-huh. So, um, and so, like I said, they, they are influenced by a witch doctor, by a tribal chief, and, and, and so on. And um, so we have more to deal with the occult there, an incredible occult there. The, the power of the occult is, is absolutely amazing. You know, a lot of people say, well, I don't sort of believe in, 
in the devil and that but I mean if you if you go to some of these places and you see the power that the that uh, these witch doctors have over the people it's just incredible yeah you might not believe in the devil but believe me he believes in you yes exactly <laughs> and so um, all the more reason that these people need to hear the gospel and be set free from this and they are that's the beauty of it but I realize when you t- when kids come out of that environment when young people come out of that environment and come to our place and they're away from that environment there um, is much easier than to release them from that mm-hmm. uh, and to help them to grow in that to prepare them and then they can go back into their villages because a lot of people say to me why do you take these kids away from their environment well we don't first of all we don't we never do I mean they're dumped in the in the jungle we find them sometimes or they're dumped at our gate you know by people from their tribe and, and things like that so it's not as though that we go and and steal them from these people but but we see what misery is there and and kids are neglected or sold off to sold off by witch doctors to, you know girls in particular when they're 9 10 11 years old and they're sold off then and 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 married off to some old ghastly guy who's already got three or four wives and he wants another virgin and so to prevent that you know even some family members or some parents they come to me and they say please take my daughter because you know we don't want her to be married off and we want her to have an opportunity to be able to be educated and to make something of her life. So, so we receive those those kids. But the beauty is then that we're able to, you know, from day one as they come in, be able to speak Christ in them. Right? They they come with us. They go to our prayer meetings every morning, and we um, read the Word of God together. They learn uh, who this Jesus is, and they learn then to receive him. And you just see this incredible change take place in their lives. And then as you disciple them, they get such a passion for the Lord as well and realize then that they've, they've got, they've been, um, have been given talents and, and uh, gifts from the Lord as well. And this passion now in order to bring the gospel now back to their own tribes and their own families and that. So it's awesome to see what God is doing through them. With me today in studio is Ronnie Habor with Living Waters Village Ministries from Borneo. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to The Conversation, our visit today with Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, along with a very special guest, Ronnie Habor from Living Waters Village Ministries in Borneo. Ronnie, just prior to the break, I want to kind of pick up where we left off. What's your sense in terms of the the receptivity? For example, I think of sharing the gospel with someone who is of a Muslim background, for example, who has always looked at God with a sense of this is someone that I need to fear, that I need to appease, that is uh, I'm constantly trying to not make jealous or get angry at me, or for the Hindu who has, I don't know, 33, million something gods trying to figure out figure out which one I need to appease which one I need to not get mad at me that would be a tall agenda I would imagine too the notion of suddenly changing this up that God is not so much someone to whom we're trying to reach up and find but rather that he came down and is a God who so passionately wants to have relationship with his creation that he provided a means by which that bridge that we might cross to reach him through Christ Jesus. I mean, I, I would imagine for many this has got to be a mind oh, blower. Absolutely, absolutely. They're absolutely stunned. And in the beginning they have a real difficult time to try and work that out. You know, why would any creator want to be so close to 
us. Why should my you creator know? consider yeah. me? Yeah, you know how how is that that he how did he loves me? Uh, but but you got to you got to realize that a lot of these kids have never never really um, understood love, have never experienced love before until they come to our place and you give them the first cuddle and they look at you like you know what are you doing. Right, and uh, but then bit by bit, they, uh, day in day out, they see how you care for each other. That you are prepared to listen to them. You know, f- for the first time, there's a person who wants to listen to you. And as you share about Christ, that He came from heaven, right? Gave up that position for the moment. You know, He came to be with us, and then through His death on the cross and His resurrection, He made a way for us to be able to have such a close relationship with Him that He lives in us now, and that we can talk with Him and walk with him every day you know I, I i say to them you know if we look at the uh, the universe and and he's the creator of of the heavens and the earth and the universe and the universe you know um just recently i heard that even though we, we think we see all these little white dots there and they're all stars but actually they discovered they're all galaxies meaning that there are millions and millions of planets in one of those dots you know and then so incredibly vast so huge that this God who created all that actually wants to have a relationship with us puny, tiny little mm-hmm. dots there on this planet Earth called Earth. He wants to have a close relationship with us, you know, blows you away. Well, these kids, when they realize that, you know, this, there is a God who created everything and he, and he loves us and he wants to be so close to us and he's opened the door for us to be able to, you know, he, he actually made a way by going to the cross, giving up his own life that way, rose again, right, and, and gave us this opportunity now to be able to be with him intimately like this. Wow. Yes, and once they, you know, it's, it's really amazing how, how, um, how God works often, right? You see these kids, they're completely stunned at this news and the tribal people, they're completely stunned at this news. And then when they s- try to work this out, you know, they're really trying their hardest, a bit like ourselves, you know, when we sort of reading the Bible first and we didn't know God, but the same thing. And then as they get to know more and more, the Holy Spirit starts to work. And then all of a sudden, you see this incredible, you know, touch from God on their lives that it just, just, it's like the, the light, the, the light, light just went on. on. Yeah. The yeah. light went yeah. on yeah. and they get it, you know. Wow, and they're just so excited and they're so on fire for God. And, you know, this is why we have all these kids and young people now that are finishing high school and want to go to Bible college and they want to be pastors and they want to be church planters, you know. Absolutely blows your mind to see so many of these young people now, right? And some of them were the most obnoxious kids when they came to us because they lived in the jungle for years on their own, did everything on their own, did everything that is just not right. And they come to us and and, and then you see God touch them that way. Wow. Now they've got it. Now they want yeah. to share it. Yeah. And that, that notion that, that none should perish, but each should experience everlasting everlasting life. Pastor Sheely, I mean, in many respects, that core fundamental gospel message, it, it, it's no different whether you're delivering it to a young person in the jungles of Borneo or to a young person on the peninsula hanging out on El Camino. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that God loves us so much and has had such amazing grace towards us. And uh, as Ronnie pointed out on Sunday, it's nice to be in your jungle here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the concrete jungle, as they call it. Uh, you've touched on a lot of the the real miracles. It, it, just the fact that this ministry exists, let alone 
survives and thrives to this day. You were mentioning to me, just as one example, and I I jokingly said, how could water be an issue on the third largest island (laughs) on the planet? But then we talk about potable water. That had been an issue. And God showed up in a very special way, which, you know, again, for the benefit of listeners, Ronnie Habor is with Living Waters Village, and uh, the name is no coincidence. Uh, God really showed uh, showed up in a real big way, didn't he? he Tell did, us about yeah. that. First of all, we have, uh, of course, we get a lot of rain, and we catch the rainwater for our drinking water, so we make these huge concrete uh, water tanks under the ground. Big cisterns, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So uh, that's our drinking water. But for the wastewater, or like a sh- for having shower baths and, and um, toilets and washing and all that sort of stuff, comes out of our river. We have a river that we border, and uh, that river, um, you know, we do everything with that, so it's really great. And so we have this massive pump in there, and we pump all the water up that we require for every day for all that sort of stuff. But then one day, uh, as a result of the COVID that was happening, and uh, factories were shut down, and plantations were shut down, and people had to go home, no income at all anymore. And uh, so they had to they had to survive. They had to make money. So what we were discovering then was that people were actually digging digging for gold in the river upstream, and they're digging for gold. They're not supposed to, and it's against the law. But the police also were, you know, letting people do it because they knew they knew that they needed to eat. But the thing was that they were using mercury in the water as a result of that. And, of course, everything dies off. And I certainly didn't want to use that wastewater with mercury in it. Sure. That is going to be a danger to our, to our people. So we said, God, we have to come up with another solution. I mean, what are we going to do now? We had a little creek on the property, but that gave us a little bit of water, but certainly not enough for uh, um, 900 people. And so... We uh, prayed and fasted, and which we do regularly, and and uh, for this issue, and said, God, we have to come up with that. Do we catch more rainwater, or how do we do this? Because we require half a million liters a day, at least now, for for our uh, use. And so um, we prayed and fasted, and then uh, a couple of our guys, Barnabas and uh, Daniel, they both um, said, "Look, we know that Barnabas there is a Daniel." <laughs> <laughs> they, they said, "We, we know there's, there's trickles of water coming down the, the the hills over there, but I think it's from our neighbours. But um, how about because we've got 800 acres of uh, jungle there, and I haven't been to uh, some of it." Uh, I haven't even set foot on it yet because it's just so huge. I've been, I got lost twice on our property. That's how big it is. And so it's all valley and, and hills and valley and hills. And so I said, um, they said, I, we think it comes from the neighbors. So, but let's investigate. Is that okay? I said, go for it, you know, Where, wherever there's water, I want to know. So they went and, and lo and behold, after a little while they came back and I said, well, you wouldn't believe it, Ronnie, but on top of the hill, not in the valley, but on top of the hill, there is uh, water coming out of the ground, just bubbling out of the ground. And I said, what? And they said, yes. So we made a little dam uh, just a foot high and uh, we put a pipe in it to see, you know, and, and, and got a bucket and see how much water was coming out of there every minute. And so we could then figure out how much water that would be for a, a whole day coming out of there. And so they monitored this, and um, and they found four of these springs uh, on our property. And so, and the beauty was that uh, we, they worked out with all these buckets and timing and days and all that that we were able to draw uh, 450,000 to 500,000 liters of water, which is about 125,000 gallons of pure, beautiful, clean, fresh water. Several swimming pools yeah. a day. <laughs> so awesome. Well, we couldn't stop thanking God for, you know, often we, uh, I, I often say, you know, I cry a lot because of all the misery that I see, of all the 
terrible things that people do to kids, you know, where, that are abused and tossed aside and not wanted and all that sort of stuff. But I also cry a lot because of all the joy that I see that God does, you know. You know, saving kids' lives, turning them around, bringing them to us. Uh, they would have died otherwise, you know, because some of them are just barely alive when they come to us. And then uh, seeing God do miracle after miracle, you know, so many times. And that's why we put a big sign up on our, our property, you know, um, you are entering a miracle zone. Um, be aware you're entering a miracle zone. Proceed at own risk. <laughs> you know, so the locals from all sorts of religions, they all know about our place. And actually, they, share, they uh, warn each other, uh, I wouldn't mess with those people on that mm-hmm. property over there because their God is with them. So mm-hmm. they know about so many of our oh. miracles. And um, just fantastic. So we're being so blessed uh, yeah, to have all this water now all of a sudden available to us. With me today in studio is Ronnie Habor with Living Waters Village Ministries from Borneo. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to The Conversation, our visit today with Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, along with a very special guest, Ronnie Habor from Living Waters Village Ministries in Borneo. Ronnie, let me pick up the conversation where we left off just prior to the break. And let me be very abundantly clear, this experience is not one that therefore led to the name Living Waters Village. That had been in place for decades. Yes. And it really shows you, think about passages of Scripture, you know, I will give you rivers of living water, you shall thirst no more. You think about all those ways that we think of, of colorful, biblical language that I think sometimes from a Western perspective, we say, well, isn't that nice? It's kind of like poetry. Not recognizing God's very serious about Absolutely. this, and in any way in which He can show up and demonstrate His love, and you know, it, it, it's often said that we we struggle sometimes to see the miraculous in Westernized Christianity, largely because we have our our focus and attention, as we discussed earlier, in so many other directions, but rather than on Him, and yet in so many parts of the world where what we consider to be the more mainstay or traditional ways of evangelism. You get up on radio and you preach the gospel. You have a TV show. You pass out, you know, Bible tracts at the BART station, whatever. God will typically, in many parts of the world, use the miraculous. And particularly for those that have other religious backgrounds, to see the demonstration of a loving hand of God. Your God, don't mess with them. Your, yeah. Their God is powerful. He shows up. Yeah. That really is the way in which God can, in a very significant way, demonstrate his love, much like Jesus taking a, you know, half a dozen loaves of bread and feeding 5,000, that was just the men, to demonstrate his love so that ultimately this becomes really a living testimony yeah. to the power of his word. Absolutely, absolutely. If I, I, if I think about this, um, I remember this uh, one tribal um, uh, witch doctor and his wife was uh, really seriously ill. In fact, she almost died. But I just happened to come through the village <laughs> in that place there. And he heard that, I, that we had come. And um, uh, he's the witch doctor. So he's the, he's the, everybody comes to him for healing. So he's the witch doctor. And yet his wife is, is sort of lying there almost dead. And so he, co- he heard that I was there. And so he, he called me. And look, I'm, I'm just an ordinary guy. I'm just, I just love the Lord. I, I'm nothing... S- 
you know, special or anything like that. I don't have a, you know, a title or anything. And so I'm not after all that, all that sort of stuff. I just love the Lord and love people. And so he uh, found out that I was there. And so he calls me up and he goes, uh, okay, come. He said, uh, uh, I want you to do your thing. Do your thing me for my wife. And I said, do my thing. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know what you're talking about, but the thing. I said, but I can, I, I can pray for her in Jesus' name. My, my Jesus will, wants to heal her, right? And so, um, so I, just, I just laid my hands because my, my own kids were in a car accident and they almost died, right? Uh, the doctors gave, up, they gave them up and said, look, they're not going to survive, so you'd better say goodbye to them. But, you know, um, I had people come uh, to my kids and my two kids and they, they laid their hands on my kids and they said, child of the Most High God, be healed in Jesus' name. You know, and uh, after six weeks, both my kids were healed and were allowed to go home. Comple- they were he- completely healed, even though the neurologist said it was impossible for them to be healed. So, so I experienced that. And so with that, I, d- I just knew that if God can do this, God can do anything. And so here, years later, I'm here with this witch doctor. His wife is there on that floor there. She's almost dead. And I'm thinking, he's the witch doctor. You know, God, I just, you know, I'm, I'm who am I? But you brought me here for a reason. So, you know, and I laid my hands on her and I said, child of the most high God who created you in his own image, be healed in Jesus name. And that was it. And nothing happened. (laughs) And I I said to the tribal chief, "Okay, well, tomorrow uh, we'll see what we can do. You know, we'll stick her on a stretcher and we'll we'll take her to the nearest hospital or whatever. But get ready at five o'clock in the morning. And he, he looked at me and, yeah, okay. And so anyway, we went to bed and four o'clock in the morning, there's this bang on their hut. And uh, here is this witch doctor there standing there with his wife standing there as well. And he said, we're ready. I said, what? This is your wife, right? He goes, yeah. I said, well, she's standing here. He said, yes, she's healed. I said, well, well praise the Lord. And he says, well, so are we going to the hospital? I said, no, she's here. So praise the Lord, you know, God, God had healed her. And so, and as a result of that, he became a Christian. He gave his life to the Lord, and God uses him. He's now an ambassador for Christ and helping with planting other churches. So it wasn't until he saw the power of God, and he goes around now saying, You might do other witch doctors, you might think that you've got power, but let me tell you, mm-hmm. there's somebody else who has greater power than you, all you combine together, right? And uh, so he shared his testimony about his wife. And so I thought, God, yeah, you know, and that's what God will do. And so sometimes we think we have to, we have to come up with a, with an idea or something in order to reach these people. But it's just making yourself available, and you know, okay, have a plan. That's fine, but be prepared that um, the plan might change because God has, yeah, He might get you to go to the left or the right uh, to whoever needs Him at that particular moment. So. There is such an important message in that for the church here in the West. That I think oftentimes we we wait for God to show up. We think that uh, He's going to step in and perform the miraculous, and we're just waiting on the Lord. We hear people say that all the time. I'm waiting on God, fully perhaps failing to recognize that maybe it's just the opposite. Maybe God is waiting on yes, us absolutely. to believe, to do, to trust, to pray, to act, to share. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's uh, fully participatory. I I don't know if I were God that I would have set up the system and said, okay, I'm going to pick you 12, and and Judas, you're kind of a loser. You're off to the side, and this is going to be my team of of ragtag individuals, some of whom you you, you probably wouldn't 
trust to loan five dollars to and yet this is the group that god leaves behind to share the message of what they've witnessed and here we sit 2,000 plus years later as direct descendants of that spiritual legacy so to speak and to watch the way in which this message has gone forward by those who are willing to pray to trust to speak to do to preach and I think maybe the core message for the church here today is if you're sitting around saying, well, I don't know where God is. He doesn't seem to be active. He doesn't be, seem to be showing up. We're just waiting on him. Maybe we need to sit down and, and kind of take a little internal count of where our head and our heart is and ask ourselves the question, are we waiting on God or is he God waiting on us? Look, if, if Jesus is number one in your life, right, then, then you would be busy for him. You'd be wanting to... Yeah, to um, be be used every day wherever you are. See, a lot of people they look at missionaries. Oh, this yeah, you're sent out to you know you're called. You're, yeah, you've been you called. You have this calling to go out and do you, that. You, but you, you've been given your pastor's degree. Yeah, that's you've right. been ordained. You see, yeah. you've got your ministry. Yeah. I don't know what to do for the Lord. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but God and I, I shared this 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 whole week with the young people as well. That you know, God places you where He places you right now, wherever you are. You know, wherever you are, God wants you to be a light in, in that area there to start off with. You don't have to, you know, just read God's word. Just God wants you to be available. He wants you to step out and, and get going and do things already. A lot of people say to me, but I haven't been called. I said, and in the meantime, what, what are you doing in the meantime? Oh, well, I don't know. God hasn't specifically told me what to do. I said, but what are you doing now? Yeah, nothing. I'm just waiting. Well, then why aren't you helping in the church? Why aren't you helping in your neighborhood? Why aren't you helping around you know, in your community and, any, and everything? Why aren't you sharing? I, I get people that say to me, I've been living here for 10 years, but my neighbors don't even know that I'm a Christian. Well, really? Well, how come? I mean, why aren't you then sharing with them? Why can't they see Jesus in yeah, you then? We're back to waiting on God again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, waiting on God. Yeah. And Well, okay, well, you're waiting for a specific task, maybe. So, but as you get busy for the Lord and do things what need to be done, then God will then take you on a journey and give you a bit more responsibility and a bit more. But start off with whatever. You know, I always know who, are, who which, which um, people in my ministry are going to be the great leaders, the ones who are willing to help me there clean the toilet. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm cleaning in the toilet. We're all on our roster, and I clean the toilet. And if people come up and uh, kids come up and go, Dad, I, can I help you? I said, absolutely, come. I know that they are the ones who are going to, they're going to make it because they're, they're whatever God, whatever you want me to do. I get missionaries at my place and they go, Look, uh, Ronnie God has called me to come and uh, serve him here. I said, great, we're praying for more people. So fantastic. Yes, but, and I thought, oh, here comes the buts, yeah. I said, yeah, but um, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to wash windows and I'm not going to clean anything and stuff like that. I will, uh, I, I will help the kids, but I'm not going to have my house available for uh, a ministry or, and things like that for kids to come in. And, and, I, and, uh, and I don't want to uh, share my car. And I said, well, don't pack your bag, unpack your bags because I don't want you here. I want you to come here um, to serve the Lord on his terms, not on your terms. Yeah. And if you, you know, that's for all of us. If he's number one in our lives, then we're willing to do whatever. And so if we're a Christian and God lives in us, then and we are living in the community, then what are you already doing then for him? With me today in studio is Ronnie Habor with Living Waters Village Ministries from Borneo. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.